So our uh, second reading from Holy Scripture today is in the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning at verse 12. But we appeal to you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you and have charge of you in the Lord and admonish you. Esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, beloved, to admonish the idlers Encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all of them. See that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise the words of the prophets, but test everything Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. May the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do this. Beloved, pray for us. Greet all the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. I solemnly command you by the Lord that this letter be read to all of them. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, on every veteran's uh, weekend here at Faith, I think about growing up as an army brat. My dad served in the uh, army for 28 years, and uh, I think back to uh, my childhood. Uh, Dad was gone five years. Uh, years between 1963 and 68, uh, a year in Korea, back for a while, a year in Vietnam, back for a while, then another year in Vietnam. And God bless my mom, who uh, managed to uh, take care of three young boys by herself for those three lonely, uh, challenging years. Uh, Mom had all kinds of reasons why she could have just stayed home on Sunday, but she made sure that she got her boys to church and Sunday school. And I don't know if it was a carrot, if it was a reward, but we knew that if we behaved in church and she didn't have to spend too much time telling my younger brothers to sit still, (laughs) that there would be a reward, Uh, a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts, hot, you know, and uh, this will tell you how long ago that was. She would often let me as the eldest son, you know, my dad said, remember, you're the man of the house now, take care of your mother and brothers while I'm gone. She'd let me go in to buy the donuts. I'd go in with one dollar for a dozen and come back with change. <laughs> there weren't a lot of televangelists in those days, um, but there was one that my mom and I would watch if we heard he was going to be on a crusade. Uh, we'd get my younger two brothers to bed, then mom would let me stay up with her and hear the, the preaching of Billy Graham. And Billy touched my heart as a boy, and uh, he touched my ministry as a man. Those of you who know something of Billy know that he was serious, very fiery in his preaching in the early years, and he was sincere. And I think uh, his words from long ago ring true uh, more now than ever. Uh, Billy said, for a nation to get back on its feet, the people must first get on their knees. Like so many before him and after him, 
uh, Billy understood that prayer is not something we do to somehow change God, but in prayer we are changed. When we pray, we acknowledge that God is God and we are not, that we need Jesus. In prayer, we ask the Lord that our lives, our speech, our thoughts, our actions would be in alignment with the kingdom of Jesus Christ and everything that the Lord desires for us. Uh, Billy was sincere. He was fiery. And some people say that, you know, he, he softened a little bit in his latter years, but he still preached the same true word of God. And Billy, in the midst of all of his sincerity and all of his sense of urgency for people to come to know Christ, also had a great sense of humor. Perhaps you remember Billy saying this, the only time my prayers have not been answered by God is on the golf course. And many of you understand that. So we hear in the word of the Lord that we are to pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. That does not mean that... um, Our heads should be always bowed, your eyes always closed, and your hands folded 24-7. Can't do that. Um, We need to work. You know, we heard in Scripture, you know, admonish the idlers, those who aren't doing their jobs. Uh, We must care for our children if we've been blessed with them. Some of us are called upon to care for our parents. Uh, We go places, we go to work, we drive our cars cook the food, clean the dishes, do our chores, got to get sleep at night. Uh, Praying without ceasing does not mean that you stay awake all your days on earth and nights praying, but it means that uh, prayer should be a regular, ongoing part of your daily life and discipleship, not just something we do in time of trouble or something we do when we want something from God. That would be treating prayer like a, a genie in a bottle that we take out, you know, and rub, hoping that he'll appear and grant us our wishes. There's lots of ways that Christians um, develop a holy habit of prayer. Uh, One is a society that goes by the name officially of Societas Trinitatis Sancte. Uh, In plain English, that means the Society of the Holy Trinity. This organization consists of Lutheran pastors and their congregations who commit themselves to a minimum of corporate prayer three times a day. Morning prayer called matins, evening prayer called vespers, and then prayer at the end of the day called compline. One of our former associate pastors here at Faith is a faithful member of STS. Anybody want to guess out loud who that might be? Luther, Luther, Luther Matson. These pastors and their congregations uh, take to heart Paul's instruction to pray without ceasing. And the society they have formed and to which they voluntarily belong simply gives them a structure and a, a sense of accountability when it comes to their desire and commitment, their discipline to be people of prayer. STS is a good way to pray regularly, but it's not the only way to do so, and it's not for everyone. In my very first congregation back in the 80s in Richmond, Virginia, I was really surprised to find out that every member, when I arrived, had a key to the front door. And then as we were blessed to receive new members into the life of the congregation, uh, they were provided a key as well, reminding them that, you know, this is the house of the Lord we're all responsible for taking care of and protecting. You're stakeholders. You're not just, you know, observers 
You know, you belong here. This is our house together where we worship God. And we wanted everyone to know that even when the offices were officially closed, uh, they could use that key to go into the sanctuary and pray after regular hours. Now, of course, we encouraged everyone to pray at home. But we wanted our sanctuary to be available to those who simply needed a place apart, a quiet place where they could simply be in conversation with God. That's what prayer is. My second congregation, six miles from Canada, was different. The church doors were never locked, (laughs) just the secretary's office and the pastor's office. But any church member could go inside the church building any time of day or night. This was a congregation of 1,400 souls in a town of less than 2,000 people. Uh, A lot of folks didn't even lock their doors at night in that small town. And while this policy of keeping the church open, unlocked, was intended for those who might be drawn to go inside and pray, I learned soon after the start of my ministry there that people would go there for other causes. Imagine my surprise when I was the first one in the building One morning, I'm walking through the sanctuary, and and this guy pops up from a pew and says, Good morning, Pastor! You know, I just jumped and felt my heart race and my blood pressure go up. Uh, Soon found out that he and a lot of other fellas would uh, spend the night at the church when they'd stayed out at one of the local watering holes a little too late. And they would say, You know, Pastor, I I don't want to uh, disturb my, my wife and children Uh, Truth be told, they didn't want to be confronted by an understandably upset spouse. And so that became another occasion for conversation and prayer with these men early in the morning. It should not surprise you that many members of our congregation here at Faith stopped by, not just on Saturday nights and Sunday mornings, but every day of the week. They come inside and they sit here in the sanctuary and pray. Some of you here this morning have done this. I've seen you. Now, some people might argue that praying in a sanctuary is unnecessary insofar that Christians can pray at home. And as Martin Luther said about so many things, this is most certainly true. We can pray at home. We can pray in our front yards, our backyards. We can pray in our cars. We can pray in the mountains. We can pray at school. We can pray at work. Nonetheless, there's something special. There's something unique about being in and praying within a Christian sanctuary, a place set apart for the Lordship of Jesus Christ and his gospel of truth. I can pray at home. I do pray at home. But I've often come here into this sanctuary by myself to pray on more than a few occasions. When our congregation years ago in 2004 took our second required vote to join Lutheran congregations in Mission for Christ, I didn't get much sleep the night before. I came here around 5 a.m. that morning to pray, simply asking God to lead us, to guide our decision-making. I prayed that God would find us faithful to the mind of Christ and the eternal truth of his word. I could have prayed at home, but the spirit of the Lord kind of beckoned me and drew me to pray here where we would all be meeting later that same afternoon. And I've done the same thing on Sunday mornings in January before our annual congregational meetings. 
I've asked the Lord to be present during those gatherings, to guide our conversations and to help us maintain the bonds of Christian love and unity even when we might disagree vigorously on certain topics. And some of you know that when my dear wife Kirsten was diagnosed with cancer, I spent a lot of time in prayer sitting right there in the front row. Somehow the front row was always available in a Lutheran congregation, Sunday mornings and weekdays too. But I would sit right there praying for my wife, her medical team, her surgeon. And again, I could have prayed at home in the basement or in our den, but the Holy Spirit drew me to this place of worship. There's so many ways to become more intentional, proactive when it comes to prayer. The STS society that our brother Luther Luther Matson belongs to is is a wonderful model for many people. And I know that some of you already I have made it a habit, a holy habit. You pray every night before you go to bed. You pray first thing in the morning, before the coffee's brewed, right when you wake up. Some of you have uh, been blessed by the devotional booklets that we provide every quarter. Uh, they help you in your life of prayer. It doesn't matter the structure. It doesn't matter the prayer resource. What matters is that you pray. And if uh, you haven't been talking with your Heavenly Father much lately, uh, God loves it when you pray to Him. And if you perhaps have neglected this part of your life as a Christian, um, God welcomes your conversation. God welcomes your prayers. He wants to hear from you. And you don't have to dress it up with fancy you know, theological, prayerful language. Oh, Lord, we do pray to thee. I mean, if you want to pray that way, that's fine. But how would you talk to your best friend? Would you try to dress up the language with all kinds of fancy adverbs and adjectives, or would you just speak normally? If you talked like you were in some play, some Shakespeare drama, your friend might call you out. Like, why are you you talking so weird? Just be yourself. Just be yourself when you talk to God and We don't have time to get into it this morning, but one of the ways I preached on and taught uh, to begin a life of prayer is uh, called STP for shorthand. Uh, Sorry, thanks, praise. Uh, Sorry, Lord, I I know today I did some things I shouldn't do, and there are some things I should have done that I did not, so I'm sorry. Forgive me. Uh, Thanks is simply expressing gratitude uh, for the blessings of life, especially the most ordinary of blessings, the air we breathe, the water we drink, the food we eat, shelter, friends, family, this church family. And most of all, we're thankful for what Christ did for us on the cross. Please is simply asking God to bless those people or those situations in need of his grace, his redemption, his healing, his guidance, his mercy. So STP, that's one way you can try beginning a life of prayer. Maybe it'll work for you. Years ago, Kirsten and I hosted a retreat for married couples up at Glorietta in northern New Mexico. Some of the people there were surprised to hear what I'm about to share with you now. Uh, Many, many years ago, after attending a pastor's conference, I was convicted by one of the guest speakers. I was inspired in my conviction to come home and talk with Kirsten about praying together. I told her that I thought It would be a good idea for us to pray every morning, no matter how busy we were, 
no matter how early my first appointment might be, no matter how hurried we might have felt getting breakfast ready and lunches packed for four children still at home. So when I asked Kirsten what she thought about my, uh, my prayer proposal, she said, I've been praying that you would want to do this for a long time. <laughs> and when I asked her how long, she said, since our wedding day. <laughs> I have a patient wife. There's jokes about the plumber's house being full of leaks and the cobbler's children having no shoes because there's often an element of truth to those sayings. And truth be told, most of the pastors I've known going back to seminary were just like me. Uh, They prayed all the time with and for other people in nursing homes, hospital intensive care units, hospice facilities, emergency rooms, in the middle of the night with people in their homes when a loved one suddenly died, uh, during home communions, during premarital counseling, during marital counseling, we pastors pray, Yashur Yabetcha, at weddings, funerals, every weekend on Saturday and Sunday here at Faith, to be sure. Yet many pastors, and I was one of them, did not make the time to pray with his own spouse. Oh, Kirsten and I would pray with the children every night. We'd tuck them in and pray. But we didn't make time to pray together, and that was largely my fault. And when I asked Kirsten why she hadn't brought that up to me, she said, I've been simply praying to God all these years that you would become a man of prayer, not just a pastor who did it in the capacity of your official duties and responsibilities. I just prayed that you would be a praying husband. And God answered her prayer. It took a while. So now we do our very best to pray together every morning. And you know, even pastors and their spouses need reminders. We have a prayer book right by our bed. It's right there, the first thing we see every morning. And even pastors need tools and resources. It has Bible readings for each day, and it has specific prayers for every day of the year. And and we use that. It, It helps us in our prayer life. Some of you might recall the story I've told before about a woman in our congregation who was hospitalized with cancer. During one of my visits with her, her doctor happened to stop by, and he said something to this effect, we've done everything we can, but your body's not responding to treatment. We've done the best that we can. It's just not working. I suppose all we can do now is pray. And this faithful sister in Christ looked up at that doctor young enough to be her grandson and said, oh, prayer is not the last thing. It's the first thing. I've been praying to God all my life. I've been praying to God since you told me about the cancer in my body. Most of all, doctor, I've been praying for you because I get the feeling you need it. (laughs) And I watched those tears roll down his cheek and then I felt my own. And then the three of us prayed together. Imagine that. She was someone who knew what it meant to pray without ceasing. In a few short weeks... Jerry Watts will become the senior pastor of this congregation. And even though my official duties will come to an end, and even though Kirsten and I will be looking for a new church home, as is the meet, right, and salutary thing to do, in my strong opinion, for every retired pastor, uh, we will continue praying for you, for the people of God at faith. And we'll be praying for Pastor Jerry, his wife Joy, and their precious children. And if you haven't started praying for Jerry as he's soon to assume this office, please start now, tonight, not tomorrow, tonight.
I ask you to pray for all the pastors on our staff, for their families, for our program staff, our support staff. I ask you to pray for one another and for the life and the well-being of this congregation, your congregation. And, uh, you know, I ask you not to pray that God would put a hedge of protection around our church, but a big, mighty wall, you know, with guards, you know, and a moat. You ever heard that prayer, Lord? Pray a hedge of protection, like Satan doesn't like shrubbery or something, you know? (laughs) A mighty fortress is our God. And Jesus has promised that not even the gates of hell can prevail against his church. But I, I pray that you would be people of prayer, asking God to, to bless your life and, and, and your families and to watch over your homes. Because the evil one loves it when you say, I'm too busy to pray. Oh, God already knows what's on my mind. The evil one loves it when you neglect the gift of prayer, conversation directly to God at his mercy seat in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, there was a time in church history when the baptized were taught, you know, you you need an intercessor, a human to pray on your behalf. And one of the treasures of the Reformation is you don't need a pastor to pray. Jesus is your bishop. He's the guardian of your souls. He's the Lord of your life. And the liar, the evil one, delights when you forsake or forget your, your God-given identity as a beloved son, a beloved daughter of your Father in heaven, and your Father wants to hear from you. That means prayer. So I'm going to conclude this message with uh, some quotes from two Christians who've blessed my life. The first is Eugene Peterson. Some of you know that he spent a year um, paraphrasing the Bible into that uh, translation called The Message. And the other is Dallas Willard, uh, a theologian uh, who taught at the University of Southern California in the philosophy department. And he was my mentor and my theological kind of uh, leader, uh, mentor, uh, teacher when it came to my doctoral work at Fuller Seminary years ago. So listen to them describing our life together as people who worship and pray. First, Eugene Peterson This life of faith isn't meant for tourists. It's meant for pilgrims. Because a pilgrim, what? Is making his or her way home. And we are pilgrims on our way home to Jesus. And as pilgrims, we pray along the way. Peterson goes on to say, hey, feelings are great liars. If we Christians worship only when we feel like it, there'd be precious little worship, precious little prayer. We think that if we don't feel something, there can be no authenticity in doing it. But the wisdom of God says something different, that we can act ourselves into a new way of feeling much quicker than we can feel ourselves into a new way of acting. Worship, prayer, these are acts that develop feelings for God, not a feeling for God that is expressed in an act of worship or prayer. And then Dallas Willard. The greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those identified as Christians will become true disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of heaven into every corner of human existence. And this is where prayer comes in. 
as God sanctifies us and edifies us as we grow more and more into his image and likeness. Dallas said the most important thing in your life is is not what you do. The most important thing is who you become. Because who you become is what you take into eternity. May we become more each day people of prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.